With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, everybody, welcome back inside the Mid-American Bandwagon, episode 24, coming to you live. I am Zach Folidor, as always, joined by my co-host, Sam Philman. Sam, how you doing today, man? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, NBA preseason's underway, so slowly watch the Pacers. But yeah, I'm I'm pumped for this week. We got the MAC championship to talk about. Yeah, man, absolutely. And we got we got a lot of good stuff to talk about this week. And um, a couple a couple of things uh, quickly here before we really get into the to the news and the stories and really jump into things here. Um, first off, an announcement that we are very excited about is that um, after. What has it been now, Sam? Six months of, of work and episodes that we've been putting in uh, officially have been picked up as an SB Nation Network podcast. So you guys can find us now on SBNation.com. You can also find us anywhere that you can find your podcast. We're still on Apple Podcasts. We're still on Spotify, still on Google Podcasts, all that stuff. But uh, I know, Sam, you know, this is something we've been working towards, something we've been trying to get to for quite some time now. So I know we, I'm really excited about it. I'm sure you are, too. Yeah, I mean, it just it just verifies the work we've done. And I think it'll not only be able to uh, get us to even more people, but to improve the content, we now have contacts within SB Nation. So I think this is a win win. And hopefully this uh, brings more good things for this podcast moving forward. Yeah, no doubt. We're we're so excited about it. And, you know, we can't thank all you guys enough for the, the support thus far and all the Twitter interactions and downloads, the streams, everything. We really appreciate that. Um, now, one other thing, just something that we wanted to um, clarify here before we start the episode. We know that there was a lot of news this week when it comes to, uh, to, to, the, to the MAC, right? The all, all MAC football teams came out. Uh, Wednesday was National Signing Day, early National Signing Day, I should say, is in terms of recruiting goes. Those are obviously big stories. We're not ignoring those stories, but we're going to cover those things in more depth on next week's episode. This week, we figured we wanted to give you guys a little bit of a, of a recap of the last week of the regular season, some you know season recap, and then obviously wanted to give a lot of attention to uh, the championship game coming up here between Ball State and Buffalo. So for anyone out there that's a recruiting buff that wanted to hear our breakdown of the different recruiting classes, all that stuff, or the all-MAC team, stuff of that nature, we're going to cover all that stuff next week. We promise we didn't forget any of that. Um, but anyway, just to, to kick off the show this week and, and to jump into the news. Uh, Sam, a couple of uh, a couple of guys here, a couple stars from the, the, the Mac here have opted out uh, the remainder of the season and, and they declared that they're going to be going pro. Yeah, we've got um, we'll start we'll start with Kent State. We've got their receiver, the stud that is Isaiah McCoy, announcing he will make himself eligible for the 2021 draft. And then uh, Ball State Cardinal Caleb Huntley, who's been dealing with some injury issues this season, has also declared opted out the rest of the season for both the uh, MAC championship game and the bowl game. So unfortunately uh, for me and the rest of the Cardinal fans, we'll not be able to see him. But 
That, that is some that is some tremendous news coming from uh, two of the top athletes coming out of the MAC. Yeah, no doubt. And you know, you look at the the numbers from this year. I mean, both of these guys put up great. You know, they both had great seasons. Um, Isaiah McCoy was uh, what fourth in the um, fourth in the MAC in receptions per game, third in the MAC in uh, receiving yards per game, 114 receiving yards. He had five touchdown receptions and 455 yards on uh, 25 catches in only four games this year. And the same thing with uh, Caleb Huntley, you know, he finishes the year uh, second in the Mac in rushing yards per game at 145 a game. He only played three games, but he still scored six touchdowns, uh, 437 yards rushing and five and a half yards per carry. Sam, I know as a, as a Cardinals fan, uh, you're going to miss watching Caleb Huntley play. I'm sure. Yeah, for sure. He was a beast the last two seasons. I've got an opportunity to watch him. Who knows if you would have been able to play with his injury issues of late. But yeah, he's certainly a stud. But I want to turn the attention to Isaiah McCoy real fast. I think I think people sometimes forget about him on this Kent State offense. Like we all know uh, Dustin Crum, who recently announced that he's coming back next year, how good he is. I think Isaiah McCoy is one reason for that. You mentioned all the stats, 25 catches, 455 yards, and five touchdowns. He's got elite speed. Every time I watch Kent State's offense, it seems like the MAC defenses didn't have an answer for McCoy. He was always getting in the end zone. Yeah, he, he I, it's going to be sad that we're not going to be able to watch him next year. No doubt. And I think when it comes to Isaiah McCoy, this is a guy who I think has a real chance to be a, a solid receiver at, at the next level, because like you said, Sam, you know, he's a guy that he strikes you. I mean, when you watch him on, on film, he's so fast, he's so quick. And usually those guys that are like, you know, that are that, that they line up in the slot, you know, they're, they're smaller and more compact, but with Isaiah McCoy, this is a guy that's six, three, 200 pounds. I mean, this is a big body that is also fast. He's a, not afraid to go over the middle. He can also burn you deep. This is a guy, Sam, you know, I could see him, you know, getting drafted, you know, third, fourth, fifth round, somewhere in those middle rounds of the draft and some team really being surprised with what they get from him and, and you know, him being really kind of a steal in the later rounds of the draft this year. Yeah, and if you want to talk about a bright spot against Buffalo, who we all know has a tough defense, he had five catches, 137 yards, and a touchdown. So, so not only can he do it against the Buffalo or the Bowling Greens, the Akron's, the Eastern Michigan's, he can also produce against Buffalo teams, which I think just highlights how good he is. And I think Zach, this is a promising sign that we'll be able to see quite a few MAC uh, players be be drafted this off this. Uh, in this next draft with them being opted out, they see they have that potential to go to the next level. So I think this is this is a win-win for everybody. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And, and you're exactly right, Sam. I think when you look at a guy like Isaiah McCoy, and, and, and it's always interesting to look at the games whenever he's playing against great competition. You mentioned Buffalo this year. You even look at last year, um, you know, Kent State went down to Auburn. Auburn was ranked eighth in the country uh, in week three last year, Isaiah McCoy had four receptions for 85 yards and a touchdown in that game too. So this is a guy that whenever the competition steps up, he steps up as well. Really excited to see uh, where he ends up. And then, you know, Caleb Huntley as well, uh, you know, Caleb Huntley, one of those big bruising running backs as, you know, someone that grew up as a Steelers fan, he almost reminds me of like a Jerome Bettis type of guy who he really, really, I mean, he can run away from you, but he can run you over too. So I think those are two guys, Sam, that are really going to, um, could definitely have a chance to have an impact at the next level. On the flip side of this, you know, you mentioned uh, when we're talking about Kent State, some big other big news there. Dustin Crum 
uh, announced that he is going to come back next year for uh, for the Golden Flashes. And, you know, I think that's something that defensive coordinators across the conference kind of, you know, their their shoulders sagged a little bit when they saw that news the other day. Yeah, I think this is one of the one of the big signs. It's probably going to be a trend moving forward where a lot of people are going to be using this uh, COVID year to kind of go back, have their uh, fifth year or sixth year of eligibility, or potentially even seventh. We could have some seven year uh, seniors because of the whole uh, waiver. So I'm I'm excited to see not only who's going to be leaving, but who's coming back as well. Uh, I haven't heard if Drew Plitt or a um, or any of the uh, other big name senior quarterbacks are uh, going to be coming back. So Dustin Crum's the first one. I'm sure he's not going to be the last, and it'll be interesting to see who decides to come back and who decides to take their their talents elsewhere. Yeah, no doubt. And and speaking of uh, taking their talents elsewhere, Sam, some uh, some tough news for Broncos fans out of uh, out of Kalamazoo. The other day, it looks like uh, Trayshawn Howard, Trayshawn Hayward, excuse me, uh, he's putting his name into the transfer portal, which I know, as I said, I think a lot of uh, Western Michigan fans got to be a little bit disappointed about that. I mean, yeah. I mean, how can you not when he was just such an a just integral part of this uh, Cowboys or uh, Broncos defense 2019 tallied 142 tackles, five sacks, a forced fumble, a fumble covering a pass breakup in 13 games. I think that's all you need to say. Former Mac uh, conference defensive player of the year. He was just a stud all around. Kind of reminds me of when um, the, uh, can you remind me of the central Michigan tight end who decided to transfer? Uh, yeah. Tony Poljan. Tony Poljan, another stud who went to Virginia this past year, we saw how productive he was. This kind of has the same feel to it. I'm sure whether or not he returns or if he decides to leave, he'll have a positive impact wherever he decides to go. Yeah, no doubt. As you mentioned, you know, 142 tackles last year and then 58 more tackles this year in only uh, in only five games. So uh, he was a senior this year for, for Western Michigan. But again, as you mentioned, Sam, because of the, the pandemic and everything else going on, uh, he's going to utilize that extra year of eligibility and take his talents elsewhere. And, you know, given his uh, his production over the last two years at Western Michigan, you'd have to think that there are going to be some power five programs that are going to be interested in him. I mean, no doubt he was a stud on and off the field. I mean, if you're looking for a person to highlight your defense, you should target him. Not only is he just a stud, he could play any position. I don't think he'll, he'll just be a linebacker. He could be a safety. He could be a defensive end. Whatever you want him to be, I think he's that just versatile. Whatever you want him to be, he's definitely a, a talent, a stud you want to go after. Yeah, that's that's uh, no doubt at all. So we'll be following that story. I know, like I said, uh, Western Michigan fans and Mac fans in general, I think we're going to be sad to see him go. Uh, he's certainly one of the better defensive talents in the in the conference right now. So we'll be curious to see where he ends up. And we're, we're certainly going to be uh, be pulling for him and to, to represent the Mac well, wherever he does end up. Um, the last news story here that we wanted to touch on tonight little bit more of an unfortunate story something that you know we, we've talked about a little bit here on on past episodes of the, of the podcast but um central michigan quarterback david moore uh this sam this story has just gone gone on and gone on and gone on we haven't really gotten many updates on it so for anyone that doesn't remember david moore uh was suspended in the middle of last season for he, he failed a drug test with uh, performance enhancing drugs he, he blamed it on some over-the-counter supplements that he had taken uh, but uh, it seems like, I don't know, Sam, this this thing just continues to carry on. Looks like he's got another appeal ruling uh, here coming up. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm just kind of surprised. I don't know about you, Zach, that we're just hearing about it now because apparently it was, if I was reading the article right, it was back in October that he got that uh, second um, uh, positive test. We didn't know about it till just now, which is almost two months later, which is a surprise. Usually uh, news leaks faster than that. But yeah, I'm just surprised we hadn't heard anything up to this point. I'm glad we finally have an update for you Central Michigan fans, for you Mac fans that were wondering like, what the heck is happening with David Moore? Why isn't he cleared yet? It's because of this uh, positive test. Yeah, for sure. And uh, as you mentioned, Sam, you, you are right. His, um, he lost his appeal for his, his first positive test earlier this year. He's been suspended since last October, October of 2019. And obviously, you know, other guys have stepped up and played quarterback for Central Michigan since then. But this is a guy that was really dynamic as a starting quarterback last year. And we had expected that he was going to be able to play this season. And then, you know, nothing ever came out. The NCAA never said anything. And now it sounds like we're, we're finding out, you know, the, the reason why. But um, you'd, like, you'd like to think that he can win this appeal because if he doesn't win this appeal, uh, you know, he's in danger of losing next season, which would be the rest of his college eligibility. And, you know, he mentioned, uh, you know, in the article here that we have uh, from CM Life by uh, uh, Christian Boer, um, mentioned that, you know, he'd have to explore an alternative path into professional football, whether that be going up to Canada and trying to catch on with a Canadian league team. It's really, it's tough to see though. You hate to see that for someone that came in and really, you know, played well for central Michigan last year in his limited action. And then it's like his college career. It looks like it might be over before it even really got started. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think if he was able to play central Michigan, potentially had a uh, shot at the MAC championship, but unfortunately he wasn't able to play. And this kind of just throws things back into the uncertainty where Central Michigan doesn't know who their starting quarterback is moving forward, whether it's going to be next year, Daniel Richardson or Ty Brock or now David Moore, whether or not he wins this appeal. But yeah, it's a tough situation for not only Central Michigan fans, it's a tough situation for David Moore fans fans and it just leaves me with more questions than I have answers at this point yeah and uh, last year uh, before his suspension David Moore uh, started four games for the Chippewas uh, completed 57 percent of his passes a little over 1100 yards five touchdowns four interceptions he also you know was able to do some things running the ball and you know with, with his uh, with his legs obviously he was quite an athletic guy so Obviously, uh, this is something that we're going to continue to monitor. Uh, it looks like, you know, his appeal hearing actually was today. We're, we're recording on Thursday the 17th. So some news about him hopefully will be coming out here over the next couple of days. And we'll have a little bit more clarification on uh, how that's going to go moving forward, whether or not he is going to be eligible for the Chippewas next year or if he's going to have to uh, explore other options. And, you know, whether that be, like I said, Canada or, or other alternative paths. In, uh, into the NFL to, to play professionally. Um, I think that wraps up our news segment here this week. Sam, anything we missed? Anything else you wanted to touch on here? Uh, no, I think we touched on any, anything. It's unfortunate that we had not only the David Moore news, but the uh, Western Michigan transfer news. Uh, I never want to see anybody leave this conference because, I mean, let's be honest, as much as I didn't like to watch uh, Ball State going up against Trayshawn Howard, it was always fun. This past uh, weekend was certainly a blast to watch. And, yeah, it this uh, news just kind of stinks this week. Yeah, it does. And uh, you mentioned, the, you know, this past weekend in, in Ball State and Western Michigan. Obviously, we will get to that game here in a little bit. And as I mentioned, let me just 
say one more time uh, from the beginning of the episode, uh, we know National Signing Day was this week, the early signing period. Obviously, the All-Mac teams came out this week as well. We'll break all that stuff down in, in a great detail next week. We just uh, had some other things we wanted to get to here tonight before, uh, you know, before, uh, before the MAC championship game and everything this week. So, um, Sam, let's, let's move on here and, and take a look at, you know, the, the results from last week, the last week of the football season here, uh, week six. Uh, we had uh, four games this past weekend, um, a couple that had gotten canceled, obviously, uh, Kent State and Ohio and, um, and Miami and Bowling Green uh, all had their games canceled this week. But we still had a full slate of games this weekend. First one being uh, Eastern Michigan and Northern Illinois. And I don't know about you, Sam, but this one, this turned out to be a great game between these two teams. I mean, yeah, uh, it, if you can't tell by the lock score, it was 41 Eastern Michigan, uh, Northern Illinois, thir uh, Northern Illinois, 33 Eastern Michigan just had a little bit too much offense. I know last week we talked about the running game. It really wasn't that successful. You look at 38 carries, 131 yards, not as effective as the previous game. Northern Illinois was able to kind of uh, slowly stay around, always keeping Eastern Michigan within one or two scores, but Eastern Michigan at the end of the day just pulled away and got the win yeah no doubt and you know this is another time an, another game you know I continue Sam I continue to be impressed by Northern Illinois even in defeat every single week I know they ended up 0-6 this year they didn't get a victory but this was another game where they really impressed me you know this game it was 20 to 10 at halftime and beginning of the third quarter uh, Northern Illinois came out and, and they had a drive that they were putting together um, and, you know, they had just crossed midfield. They were on Eastern Michigan's 45-yard line. They had a third and five, and um, Ross Bowers completed a pass to Dennis Robinson, who, as he was trying to pick up the first down, he fumbled. That, that fumble was picked up by Kempton Shine and returned 65 yards for a touchdown for the Eagles. At that point, it was 27-10 Eastern Michigan, and I kind of thought that the Huskies were going to lay down at that point, but they didn't. They came right back on their next drive. They went 10 plays for 79 yards for a touchdown, made it 27-17, and they really, every time Eastern Michigan tried to pull in the way in this game, Northern Illinois fought back, and I, I again, you know, I, I see a lot of things from Northern Illinois that, uh, that, that are very encouraging to me. And if I was a Huskies fan, I feel pretty good about uh, what this team has going into next year. I think I said this last week, I'll say it again this week. I think the Huskies have found their running back of the future. Uh, Harrison Whaley, the true freshman had 23 carries for 122 yards this week. He has, uh, he finishes the season with 107 carries for 456 yards uh, and a touchdown. So I think Northern Illinois, there's a lot of positives to take from this game and this season, even though they didn't win any games. I mean, what I'm impressed by and I continue to be impressed by is the play by Ty, uh, Ty Ritchie, to be honest. It just seems like no one's really talking about it, but I think he's just such an underrated aspect. I talked about him last week against um, – uh, what's it Central Michigan they played uh, no it was Toledo he Ooh, just that's right yeah yeah Toledo he just found ways to get open and I, I don't think a lot of people are putting uh, enough respect on him uh, Whaley you mentioned looking like a running back of the future Ross Bowers looking s slowly and slowly uh, each week getting better and better I think we're going to be seeing big things from him if he decides to return uh, next year Preston Hutchinson I think continues to get things done I don't think people speak enough of him even if he um, a little bit of spoilers doesn't make an all-MAC team like he did in this past uh he's still really impressed with me 
Uh, yeah, Harrison Baydon just making his name known. There's a bunch of, uh, I think, Mac, Mac players that are just flying under the radar that I think people need to uh, start talking about. Yeah, and I, I agree with you, Sam, and, I, and I'm glad you brought some of those names up. You mentioned Tyrese Ritchie. Really, he did finish the season with with a, he had a great year. Uh, he is a senior, so for someone like that, you you hate to see your your senior year go zero and six. Uh, however, it will be interesting to see. He'll be one of those guys. Wonder if he'll come back next year and utilize that extra year of eligibility. He did finish the season though, leading the uh, the MAC in receptions per game. He led the MAC in receptions. He had fifty three catches for five hundred ninety seven yards and four touchdowns this year. And then you know, Sam, when when you talk about Eastern Michigan, I you know I agree with you completely. I think. Preston Hutchinson, every single week, he has impressed me. Uh, another great game this week, 21 for 29, 242 yards and two touchdowns for him. Um, I think, I don't know about you, Sam, but these are two teams here where it really seems like the arrow is pointing upward. I, I think both of these teams are going to be vastly improved next year. I think Eastern Michigan already has a lot of pieces in place. We talked last week about the true freshman running back, Darius Boone. He had a touchdown this week as well. And then you have some of the young pieces on for the Huskies as well. I think these are two teams that are going to be much, much improved next year. I think so. I think Northern Illinois, even though they've got kind of the freshman squad out there right now, they'll, they'll have a lot to learn from this year. Even if you have that 0-6 record uh, coming off of, you don't like to see that ever. I think this year is a definitely learning year. You learn a lot about yourself. You learn a lot about this team, and you've got to be impressed by Northern Illinois fan because at the end of the day, Three of these games, Ball State, who's in the MAC championship right now, Western Michigan, who has won a game away from the MAC championship game, and Eastern Michigan, all three games where you have tough opponents where you're within one possession at the end of the game. So not only um, do you have to be impressed with the the like kind of box score, uh, you you have to be you have to be confident moving forward into the next year's moving forward that you've got stuff to build on. Yeah, I, I agree with that completely. One thing to watch for uh, the Huskies this offseason, it's going to be interesting to see if uh, what Ross Bowers does. He was a senior this year as well. It's going to be interesting to see if he wants to utilize that extra year of eligibility. If he comes back, if he doesn't, uh, the Huskies do have four or five other younger quarterbacks on the roster. So that'll be a position to monitor moving forward for the Huskies. But, you know, Bowers did finish the year. Uh, his, his stats this year were good. I mean, 58% completion percentage, 1,365 yards, 10 touchdowns, only two interceptions. Not bad from Ross Bowers leading this young team. So definitely uh, two teams here, I think, that are trending upward and, and I think are going to be uh, much improved next year. Going to be interesting to, to follow them next season and see if they're able to, uh, to continue to develop um, moving on to, to our next game, uh, the second matchup of this past weekend, Sam Buffalo just, uh, continues to dominate. I know last week on our podcast, when we were making our picks, um, I picked Akron to cover the 32 points and, um, well, I, I was wrong again, Buffalo continues to exceed expectations and this game was never really close. I mean, I, I like I said last, I didn't think they had anything to play for, but apparently Buffalo was just like, 
I don't care. And they decide <laughs> to put 56 points on up on the Sips defense. I'm not sure if there's uh, unlike this uh the the we the game before that we talked about with the Northern Illinois Eastern Michigan game, if there's a lot to kind of uh be positive about if you're an Akron fan, like you you put up 112 yards of passing, 92 yards uh rushing, you let 428 yards rushing happen. Yeah, I'm. I'm just not sure. There's a whole lot good you can take uh, from this game if you're an Akron fan. Yeah, you know, I I was watching this game, and you know, Buffalo took the. You know, Buffalo got on the board first, right? And you know, they, um, you know, they took their your their first drive. They drove right down the field, eleven plays, forty six yards. They score a touchdown. Akron got the ball back on that that next possession though, and um and they uh. You know, they they went down the field. They were lining up to kick a field goal. You kick a field goal there and make it seven to three, and you think, okay, we may we're in this game. We got a chance. Well, Buffalo blocks the field goal, returns it for a touchdown. It's fourteen nothing. And at that point, you just knew uh, that I, I think that kind of broke Akron's spirit at that point. I mean, like you said, Sam, not much positive to take from this game if if you're the Zips. I still think they're in a much better position now than they were six weeks ago before the season started. But my goodness, I mean, the story here to me is I, Buffalo's offense, Sam, I, I don't know how you stop them. I mean, once again this week, 50 carries for 428 rushing yards, 8.6 yards per carry. I know part of that is, you know, a reflection of, of Akron's defense and not being able to stop them. But I mean, my goodness, this this team every week, Sam, that the numbers that they put up on offense, especially running the ball, they're absurd. I mean, this week it wasn't even Jarrett Patterson. Jarrett Patterson had 16 carries for 105 yards and two touchdowns, and he wasn't even the leading rusher. Kevin Marks with 15 for 182 and two touchdowns of his own. I mean, I, I don't know what you do, Sam. I, I don't know how you stop this team on offense. Yeah, and uh, uh, Jared Patterson had this quote that I thought was so true: "Is you you don't have to make four people miss when you when you're on that offense because you've got such a solid O line that you only have to make one miss, and that that is the very that is the very essence of the case. And we all know Jared Patterson and Ken Marks can miss one man miss. Like let's be honest, how good they are, how good they've done." So I'm not really sure how you stop this offense because you know at the end of the day that they're going to run it. They rushed it 50, 50 times. You know you know, coming up first through third down is probably a rushing down, but you just can't stop it. And that's the scary part is you know what they're going to do. I mean, Cal Van Treese only had to throw the ball seven times. Yeah. And and they put in their backup who threw it two times and then their third stringer threw it one time. But at the end of the day, they only had to throw it 10 total times. So when you 50 times, 428 yards, I'm not exactly sure how to stop it. You know, and it's it's unbelievable. I mean, you, you look at the, the, the leading rushers in the MAC this year, Jared Patterson's first by a wide, wide margin, and Kevin Marks is sixth. I mean, Kevin Marks would be the lead running back on just about any other team in this conference right now, I think probably save Ball State and um, and you know maybe at at Ohio or Akron where they have their they have established running backs as well. But I mean Kevin Marks is in his own right is unbelievable. I mean he's averaging seven and a half yards a carry and has five hundred ten rushing yards in five games. Jarrett Patterson is you know four hundred yards ahead of anyone else in the conference in terms of rushing. I mean he ran for one thousand yards in five games. It's absurd. I've never seen anything like this. And you know, I I think 
looking back on this game now, I don't know what we could have expected from Akron. I think this is still such a young team. Like you mentioned, you know, you got to expect a team that's, that's this young. They're going to struggle uh, against a team of, of Buffalo's caliber. And that's what happened. You know, uh, Zach Gibson and TJ DeShield split time at quarterback. Neither of them were all that successful combined. They went 12 for 27 for 112 yards. Tion Dollard, who has had a heck of a year for the Zips and uh, was named one of the all-MAC teams, he had seven carries for 25 yards. And I think that kind of just speaks to the fact that, you know, the Buffalo defense, they knew what Akron was going to want to do on offense. They were going to want to run the ball with Dollard and, uh, and Jeremiah Knight and some of these other guys, and they really keyed in on that. And this Akron team, you know, they, they've had a lot of success running the ball over the last few weeks, but Buffalo just shut them down, 30 carries for only 92 yards. Yeah, I but Zach, I want to throw some crazy stats at you. So not only do they lead the rushing in 1,723 yards, the next closest is Central Michigan with 1,300 yards. They're the leader in average, 7.6. Next is Kent State with 5.7. 27 touchdowns, the next closest is Central Michigan with 16. 344 yards per game, uh, next closest is Kent State with 283 yards. They're only the fifth. They only uh, they're fifth in attempts. They're not even first in attempts <laughs> in rushing, which is yeah. insane. Ball State is number one with 268. They only have 228 attempts. It really is like it's almost unfair. It's almost unfair how good this offense has been running the ball this year. And honestly, you know, Sam. When I see when I hear those numbers and when I see this team play, when I watch them play. I really wish we would have gotten a full season of watching this team because people forget that before uh, non-conference games were canceled and before everything happened with the pandemic, Buffalo was scheduled to go to Ohio state and play the Buckeyes this year at the horseshoe in Columbus. Now, by no means am I saying Buffalo wins that game if it happens, but you can never convince me that Ohio State's defense would be able to slow down Jared Patterson and Kevin Marks. I really, really feel strongly when I say I think Buffalo could have given the Buckeyes all that they could handle this year. Oh, no doubt. I mean, when you look at what they've been able to do, what they've been able to establish, there's no amount of five stars, no amount of four stars that Ohio State can put in front of that team. I mean, even IU had a field day offensively against Ohio State even. So you can't tell me that the eight touchdown person that is Jarrett Patterson and Kevin Marks can't go down to Ohio State and at least at least keep up with them, if not like keep it close. Yeah, no doubt. And I will be very curious to see where Buffalo ends up and who they get matched up with in a bowl game, because um, I, I really, really hope that they get to, to play a power five team or, or at least, you know, someone from the AAC or something like that, because I really feel like the Bulls would be able to hang with one of those teams. And on the other side of the ball here for Akron, again, you know, a tough way to close the season. I don't think anyone expected them to win this game, but I think all, all things considered, Sam, for the Zips this year, um, a lot of positive signs. They found their running back. There were some good things that their defense did over the last few weeks before this game. I think if I'm a Zips fan looking forward to 2021, there's a lot of encouraging things here, and I think things are heading in the right direction. I think the one key we need to talk about that you're happy if you're a Zips fan is not looking at that L column, but looking at that W column. You got yeah. your first win. I yeah. think 
I think that makes you have a, a edge over not only Bowling Green because you beat them, but because you have stuff to build off moving forward. Like, yes, you didn't always have the best showings and the, the Buffaloes, you weren't going to beat Buffalo, I think, or the uh, Miami Ohio's, but you had the Ohio game to look after. You had the uh, first half of the Kent State game. You had the Bowling Green. So there's definitely positive signs that you can see that Tom Arthur is putting into this program. It may not be even next year that you see that ultimate just success that you want to see, but it may be two, three years down the road. And I think that's what you can have confidence moving forward if you're a uh, Zips fan. Yeah, no doubt. I think I think after this season, I if I'm a Zips fan, I'm I'm pretty confident that Tom Arth is the right guy to to rebuild this program. And I would not be surprised to see the Zips along with Northern Illinois and Akron. I wouldn't or with uh, Northern Illinois and Eastern Michigan. I wouldn't be surprised at all to see them uh, improve significantly next season. Moving on to our next game here, uh, another nail biter this time: uh, Toledo and Central Michigan. Uh, Sam. I don't know about you, but for me, this is another disappointing, uh, another disappointing performance from the Chippewas who let this one slip away. I mean, it was both teams didn't really have a whole lot to play for other than just getting experience. They were both didn't have a shot at the uh, MAC championship game. So it was just some more of getting experience, getting a win done. But yeah, I, but considering the fact that the turmoil that Central Michigan has gone through with their quarterback situation, whether it's um, David Moore getting suspended with their starting quarterback getting hurt, having to put in Cleo Pimpleton in some uh, s- some snaps at quarterback. He was three of five, 64 yards and a touchdown. Reminds you, he is a wide receiver. I think mm-hmm. you've got to be happy with your performance. Lou Nichols had another solid performance, 10 carries, 101 yards and a touchdown. You, you have some solid uh, rushing attack. The defensive line, I think, still continues to impress. Troy Brown, uh, two sacks, four tackles for a loss, 14 total tackles. He continues to impress. I think despite the fact that they have a three and three season, I think as a Chippewas fan, you've got to be happy with where you're at. Yeah, and and that is a fair point. I think in terms of the turmoil at the quarterback position, you know, Central Michigan did have to, to deal with a lot this year. Uh, more so than anyone else in the conference. So I, I, I can't disagree with you there. Um, you know, they, they, it, I felt like they had this game won, and then they gave up the, the late touchdown pass from, uh, from, from Carter Bradley to uh, Jerquan Newton for 28 yards with just over a minute to play. Toledo steals this one, uh, 24 to 23. Carter Bradley finished 18 for 33, 265 yards, three touchdowns, though he did throw three interceptions. Uh, Brian Kobach finished the season with a strong rushing performance, 24 carries for 123 yards. And Sam, you know, when we're talking, you know, we, we, we mentioned the, the previous games and, and, you know, how we kind of see the trajectories of these programs moving forward. I think with Central Michigan, um, there's still some good things here. And it, it's obviously, I think a lot of the outlook for next year is going to be dependent upon whether or not David Moore comes back and, you know, what, what's going to happen at the quarterback position. But for me, with my, I look at Toledo, um, this was, you know, kind of another uninspiring performance for me. And it seems like to me, Toledo, for a team that's used to being at the top of the West Division, at the top of this conference, it seems like they're in danger of getting passed up by some of these other programs. Yeah, I think so. I think Toledo, again, below expectations. You see that 4-2 and two record, it, you should be happy. But with the 6-0, 5-1 aspirations of the MAC championship that you had, you've got to be disappointed. They barely closed this game out. They had a couple of games that potentially could have slipped away even more, whether it was the NIU game, look, the first half, 
or the uh, Central Michigan game this past week that we're talking about right now. So as a Toledo fan, you can't really be happy even with a four and two record. But I think Central Michigan, again, you have positive things moving forward. You have a nice running game that you can build off of moving forward, even if you don't have your quarterback situation moved out. I think your defense is a really uh, strong factor moving forward. Troy Brown's only a junior, not to mention he gets that eligibility year. So depending on how he takes it, he could be around for uh, two more years if he wanted to. So, yeah, I think Central Michigan has a nice foundation in place while Toledo uh, sad to say, you kind of got to be worried for your future if I'm a if I'm a Rockets fan. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And, you know, the one thing that we've talked about on this podcast previously, and 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 one thing that we'll never take away from from the Toledo coaching staff and Jason Candle is that they are good recruiters. They consistently pull recruiting classes at the top of the MAC. This year is no different. But again, we've said it before. That, that's only half the battle, right? You got to, once you get those recruits on campus, what, what are you going to do with them? How do you develop them? How do you, how do you, you know, mold them into a cohesive team? And that just, that seems like that's where Toledo has been lacking a little bit over these last few years. I mean, even this year, you know, the, the, the defense, you know, they bring in Vince carries to kind of redo the defense this year. And uh, the defense wasn't great. I mean, they, you know, they did okay, you know, against the rush. They had 129 rush yards a game, which is up near the top of the conference. Um, I just, I, I still don't see a ton from Toledo. Um, there is, in terms of consistency, I don't see a ton that, that, that gives me hope for the future for them. They're so up and down. You never know what team you're going to get from week to week. Well, I think not only that, I don't think this team, you could correct me if I'm wrong, Zach, this team strikes me as a team that is a, a MAC championship game team. Like, let's be real. Like, no matter if you can get four wins, at the end of the day, this team doesn't strike me as a team that can get the the wins necessary to get you to Detroit. I don't think this is a team that, that you can look moving forward and be like, hey, I believe in uh, Coach Candle to bring this team, to rally this team around, to buy into what he's doing, to get this team to Detroit. Honestly, Zach, you can correct me if I'm wrong there, but I don't know if I buy into what Coach Cannell has done to get them back to another uh, championship. Yeah, no, I, I can't disagree with that, Sam. I think this is a team, again, you know, on paper, the talent is there. To, the talent to compete with anyone in this conference, it, it's there. I mean, they have players. It's just a matter of, of, you know, playing consistently. It seems like this year, it was like when the offense shows up, the defense doesn't. When the defense shows up, the offense doesn't. And it's like they're in all of these close games against teams that they should be beating. And it just, you know, that's not something that is, is uh, inspires confidence if you're a fan. And to me, that comes back to coaching. And so it's going to be interesting. Again, I know Toledo this year, um, they, they pulled another great recruiting class near the top of the MAC. And obviously, we'll talk about that more next week. But that's been the story here over the last few years is they consistently get good recruits and, and good recruiting classes, and they just can't seem to put it all together on the field. So we'll see what happens with this team moving forward. Certainly, though, uh, Central Michigan finishing three and three in Greg McElwain's second year. I know um, some Chippewa fans are definitely going to be a little bit disappointed by that. I think they had some higher, higher aspirations for this season. However, um, you know, only so much you can do when you have the David Moore situation and other injuries and you got, you got, you know, essentially your third string quarterback playing these last few weeks for the Chippewas. So I still think uh, Coach McElwain will have them rolling uh, once we get to next season in the 2021. 
that brings us now to uh, our last game uh, of the weekend. And, oh, boy, Sam, I tell you what, man, I, I can't wait to hear what it was like inside Schumann Stadium on months, on uh, on Saturday because that ending of this Ball State-Western Michigan game, wow, what, that, that was a doozy. I mean, I I feel like what like we did not deserve to win that game. There was there was no way we should have won that game, but we did. Western Michigan could have put up easily fifty points on us, but they didn't. They couldn't get it done when they needed. Whether it's a missed field goal, whether it was a a snap that looked like he was trying to throw it all the way back to his own end zone, whether it was <laughs> the uh, just fumbles, uh, bad snaps whatever you want to call it, Western Michigan had this game under wraps. You you have the, the yardage, 491 to 352. You should not lose that game when you have that sort of performance. Uh, it was just a game where Ball State, again, I talk about the trend of luck this season with the Cardinals. This was another game where it was one forward pass away from Western Michigan uh, being in Detroit instead of Ball State with all the craziness that – Everybody I'm sure listening knows about already with with just the amount of 20 laterals. And then there was a fumble. The dude uh, should have recovered it, but got knocked out by the offensive lineman. And then you see 24 running down the sidelines about like five seconds later. But the point remains is this is a game we didn't deserve to win. Western Michigan just kind of shot themselves in the foot and was like, hey, we're, we, we were in the red zone about 20 times. We're only going to score about three of them. Yeah, you know, it's it's crazy because I, I was watching that game on Saturday and I actually, you know, I, I tweeted this out in, in the second quarter um, where I, I said, basically, you know, if, if I'm a Ball State fan, I, I was so disappointed because this, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that this was the biggest game in Ball State's program in, in many years. I mean, this was a chance to go back to Ford Field for the MAC championship game for the first time since 2008. And they came out in the first half, Sam, and they looked about as bad as you could look. I mean, I mean, they really did. If you take away um, that snap you mentioned where, you know, Western Michigan was on Ball State. I want to say they were on the five yard line or so. It was like second and goal. And they had that snap that went over Ellaby's head all the way back to midfield. And Ball State recovered that and then brought it down and scored a touchdown to make it six to three. But if you I mean, you take that snap away. It could have been, it easily could have been 20 to nothing Western Michigan in the second quarter if you take that away. And I mean, Ball State just came out, their offense looked uninspired, their defense couldn't get a stop. And really, for the first 30 minutes of this game, they looked awful. I, I would even say more than that. For the first three quarters of this game, Ball State looked terrible. And then in the fourth quarter, Drew Plitt, uh, picked it up. Justin Hall obviously had that awesome 55-yard catch-and-run touchdown to make it, you know, tie it up at 27. And then, obviously, they got the field goal with 30 seconds left to, to, to bring it to 30-27. But as I was watching that game, Sam, you know, I, I really – I started to understand your frustrations with, with the coaching staff at Ball State because it just seemed like – it just seemed to me like Ball State was not ready to play this game. And to me – in a de facto division championship game, um, that's inexcusable. I, you'd think they would come out ready to go in this game. And for the first three quarters, they they did not look good at all. Yeah. I mean, you, you talk about it. I think, I think I, I've got to give a shout out to our defense and the way they played that bend, but don't break defense. They made stops when they needed to. They got the picks when they needed to. They got the turnovers yeah. when they needed to. Besides the once bad snap, which Ball State just kind of lucked on. 
they they played that they played a solid uh game of football when they got where they got stops that they when they needed to as you mentioned the offense just looked just uh subpar of course that's partly due to Caleb uh Huntley not being in there not be able to establish that running game which then uh gives Drew Plitt the freedom to uh uh play action and um, get a lot of uh, nice completions off of that 40.5 QBR, just really unacceptable. And then special teams, you miss two, you miss two extra points. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like you have a big time moment and you, you not only you turn to a guy who just, I've, I've mentioned it. I'm just not a big fan of, we, we have a, another dude, uh, his number's 46. Who's a, who looks to be a much bigger kicker better kicker but we just just stuck with jack knight he delivered at the end but it was a chip shot field goal and it was just like if he if he didn't hit that field goal at the end we lost because a dude couldn't hit two extra points and that just like it's frustrating all around just watching this this team not only we we win but you don't ever feel good about the win (laughs) like i don't i don't know what to say other than that you just don't you don't feel good at the end of the day winning when when we do stuff like that. But shout out to Justin Hall. He's the new um, all-time uh, career reception leader for Ball State. So, yeah, shout out to him. Yeah, and, and I mean, he was the one guy who consistently showed up in this game. Ten catches, 175 yards, and two touchdowns for Justin Hall. Um, I, I do think I, one thing I wanted to touch on that I agree with you on completely, Sam, is that I do give credit to, to Ball State's defense and the defensive staff because the defense really did tighten up in the second half. Western Michigan only scored seven points after halftime, and that's a big reason, you know, that the defense kept them in the game. And then finally in the fourth quarter when the offense woke up, you know, they, they were still within striking distance because uh, the defense did play a little bit better in the second half. The one thing I will say, though, uh, the one thing that that if I'm a Ball State fan, the one thing that makes me nervous uh, moving forward into the conference championship game this weekend, though, you know, I look at Western Michigan, 51 carries, 218 rushing yards and a touchdown. Ladarius Jefferson had 25 carries for 159 yards. I look at that and that to me does not bode well whenever you got you're going up against Jared Patterson and Kevin Marks this week. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't really. I mean, I, I I can't I can't answer for how to stop Jared Patterson because I'm still I'm still trying to figure that out and I'm not like I'm really not sure what Tyler Stockton's gonna be able to do to stop him. I obviously hope he does, but yeah, without Caleb Huntley, without being able to have that effective run game, which allows you to have the possession, which I think is key versus Buffalo, have them on the field less. Yeah, it's it's gonna be tough for Ball State to figure it out, but. I, I hope it's a much more competitive game than the Lions at. I think it's at like Buffalo minus 13, but uh, hopefully Ball State can get it done. So I, I got to ask Sam, what, what was the feeling like among, you know, in, in the student section there with people in, in, you know, the people in the stadium there, that last play of the game, the 20 laterals, Ball State's entire sideline goes onto the field. Sky Moore runs down the sideline and scores what looked like it could have been the winning touchdown what was going through your mind? What was the feeling like in the stadium when that happened? So, so when, so I was talking to you off air when the um, ball state guy, I, I don't remember who it was jumped on the, the, the ball when it was a fumble and the line not knocked it out. We were celebrating. We thought it was over. Everybody rushed on. And then uh, when Sky Moore was racing down, we were confused. We were just like, 
what went on we were we already celebrated we were like what the heck happened we thought he recovered the fumble we thought it was over and then uh they signaled the touchdown we were like did we really lose this game but then the refs, uh, they, there was obviously a flag on the field. They were sorting it out. They were talking out the legal forward pass. Then we finally got to celebrate. We knew we won and whatnot. But, like, it was just a mixed feeling of going from, yeah, we won this to, oh, shoot, did we just – we may have celebrated a little bit too early and we might have lost this game to, yes, we finally won this game clear and throughout. It, it was a mixed bag. Everybody was confused, but – it, it was a super good feeling to celebrate at the end. Yeah, certainly. I, I can only imagine what it was like to be in the stadium there. So Ball State going back to Ford Field for the MAC championship game for the first time since 2008 when they also played Buffalo and uh, good looking to win their first MAC title since 1996. Uh, Sam, before we move on, any final thoughts on this game or any of the games this past weekend or any, any anything from the, the football season that's winding up? Um, nope. I, th I think this has been a really good season, to be honest. Like, I think we've had everything we needed from blowouts to eight touchdown performances to yeah. uh, really close games. to last second, just top 10, probably of all my life games, Western Michigan, Ball State. This season had it all. Unfortunately, we had a couple games get canceled, but I think we all knew going into the season that there was going to be cancellations. It sucks, but it happened. We have to move on. Uh, we, we saw Dustin Crumb come back, so that, that looks to be some positive news for Kent State moving forward. But, yeah, I think this season has been a blast. I don't know about you, Zach. I'm just super pumped not only get to get to watch the MAC championship game, but to see what next season has to, has to unfold. Yeah, no doubt, guys. And uh, as, as, uh, as we wrap this up, and obviously with the, the MAC championship game this week, um, we'll, we'll give we'll go a little bit more in depth and with some you know the full season breakdown and some of our thoughts on on the season and some of the teams we'll, we'll talk a little bit about all of that uh, in a little bit more depth next week um, coming up here after the break though uh, we'll give you a full breakdown and our thoughts on this week's MAC championship game as we mentioned Ball State taking on Buffalo a rematch of the 2008 MAC championship game at Ford Field and that'll be coming up right here on the other side of this commercial break. And we're back. Welcome back to the show, everyone. So like I mentioned uh, on the other side, uh, here now we're going to give you kind of our complete breakdown of the upcoming MAC championship game. So uh, Sam, obviously Ball State, Buffalo, huge game on Friday night, the standalone game on ESPN, 730 uh, at Ford Field, home of the Detroit Lions. Um, I guess as from your perspective, Sam, as a Ball State student and Ball State fan, um, what are you, how, how are you feeling going into this game? Worried, to be honest. I think Buffalo, to be honest, uh, is the better team. I think it shows when they're getting 13 point favorites. I think it's shown throughout this uh, season that they are the, the better team. But I think we can also use that to our advantage. Not only Buffalo thinking that they're clearly better than us, which I think they will go into this game, but also just being able to have that underdog factor to know that everybody's disrespecting you, the, to know that like the, that they don't think we have a chance. And I think that's uh, what Miami, Ohio was able to do so perfectly last season. Everybody counted them out each game. They were able to not only get to the MAC championship game, but uh, uh, win when they were uh, considered an underdog. So I think we can definitely use that to our uh, advantage. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. I think there's a lot of people already kind of penciling in Buffalo 
as as winning this game. You look at the you know look at you look at the spread. Buffalo is favored by two touchdowns here, and I think a lot of people you see picking Buffalo in this game. I'm not saying I I, I disagree with them. I can certainly understand why. I mean Buffalo. When you look at their you know game by game breakdown this season, I mean they have not played a close game. I mean you look at their their season results. They beat Northern Illinois by 19, 32 against Miami, Ohio, 35 against Bowling Green, 29 against Kent State, and then 49 this past weekend against Akron. I mean, they do seem to be um, just headed shoulders above everyone else in the conference, at least everyone that they have played thus far. Um, Now, I do think it seems to me, Sam, like Ball State does have a little bit of a chip on their shoulder, though. Like you mentioned, they they kind of are – getting motivation from that fact that everyone seems to be counting them out. And I've also seen a lot of chatter online among, you know, the program and supporters of the program that there's a lot of people who haven't forgotten that loss in the 2008 Mac championship game, right? That was one of ball state's best teams ever. They were undefeated going into that game and ended up losing that game 42 to 24. Um, so I wanted to kind of break this down in, in segments here, Sam, and I wanted to get your thoughts on this. So let's let's think about let's talk about this first off. The first matchup here that I wanted to talk about: Ball State defense versus the Buffalo offense. Right? We've talked a lot about the Buffalo offense. Jared Patterson, Kevin Marks. You know, they don't ask Kyle Van Trees to do that much as a quarterback, but he hasn't had to do that much. Whenever you're rushing for 344 yards a game, first in the country, you don't have to. I think. Ball State, the, the defensive line here, the linebackers, this this defense really has their work cut out for them. And I think the key really is what they did, what they were able to do successfully against what that Western Michigan offense in that Ben Badobrik, uh mentality. Because I don't think I don't think any any teams could be able to stop the rushing attack of Buffalo. I just don't think you can. But I think you can slowly contain them enough to force field goals, force turnovers, force things when you need to. When it gets close to the goal line, it's it gets tougher and tougher to score. So I think at Ball State, maybe, yes, you you obviously hope to stop and you obviously hope to punt the, punt, uh, force Buffalo to punt. But I think you you need to be realistic and say, hey, when it gets when it uh, comes matters most, when you're inside the five, when you're inside the ten, we need to clamp up. We need to make sure we hold them to a field goal. And I think Ball State, if they are able to do that, will have a, a good chance in this game. Yeah. And, you know, one thing that, that I was thinking about and, and something that I'll be curious to see is, you know, Tyler Stockton, the defensive coordinator at Ball State, that, that system that they run, they run that 3-3-5 that three, three, defense. They've been running that all year. And there are, you know, there certainly are um, advantages to running a defense like that, but to only have three down linemen against a team like Buffalo, who you know is going to run the ball, that you know their offensive line is really, really good, probably their best unit. I almost wonder if Tyler Stockton and the defensive coaching staff might switch things up a little bit and maybe try and go to more of like a four, three look and, and get some more guys up in the box on the D line, crowd some guys up more closer to the line of scrimmage and almost maybe dare Kyle Van Trees to try and beat you over the top and see if they can take away the running attack a little bit. 
I think that would be smart. We've got a lot of a so, we've got solid defensive line. We've got Joshua Trango, a transfer, uh, Chris uh, Ajamiang. I think I'm pronouncing that right or wrong. Probably wrong at this point. Another solid <laughs> transfer who has been able to step up. Got a uh, turnover this past week, a uh, interception. Anthony Ekpi's been able to step up. He was announced as one of the uh, All MAC teams. So we've got a real solid off uh, defensive line. That I think if you, uh, like you said, if you can switch over to a th- uh, four three, could definitely uh, have some advantages over the three three five, which I think would, as you mentioned, struggle when you have not only. Not only Jared Patterson, but you got a really solid offensive line that you need to throw everybody at. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And you know, I think that 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 three three five defense, like I said, it, it does have its advantages. And especially, you know, if you're playing a team like you know Kent State or something like that, who you know is going to throw the ball all over the field, and they got all these fast wide receivers, then I think in a situation like that, it certainly benefits to have more of those you know defensive back nickel type of defenders on the field. But I almost feel like in a situation like this where you know Buffalo is telling you what they're going to do. You, you know what Buffalo is going to do. Jared Patterson is going to pound the ball. Kevin Marks is going to pound the ball. Kyle Vantrese, like you mentioned earlier, you know he only threw the ball seven times last week. He only had to throw the ball seven times last week. So I think if I'm Ball State going into this game, I think that is my strategy and try and do what you can to take away the run game. I don't Obviously, you're not going to shut them down completely. Jared Patterson is going to complete, you know, is going to, you know, get his yards. But I think if you can make Kyle Van Trees throw the ball like 20, 25, 30 times, something like that, I think you're going to give yourself a chance. No doubt. And I would bet on, if I'm ball state, I would bet on your corners. Do you have solid corners? Yeah. You have a Mechia You've got Antonio Phillips. You've got these solid corners. I would trust, I would trust them to go up against Antonio Nunn versus having to go up against Jared Patterson 1v1 in a, um, have a, uh, let's say, Brandon Martin versus Jared Patterson. I like the odds of the corner versus the wide receiver versus what Jared Patterson has been able to do. So hopefully they can take advantage of that, but we'll see. Yeah, and that's actually, that's a great point, Sam. And I, I hadn't thought about that is that, you know, you have the advantage at Ball State of like, you do have a, a great secondary. I mean, you you mentioned Uzadema and Antonio Phillips and then you know, you got um, Bryce Cosby at safety. And then even, you know, Brandon Martin, what co-defensive player of the year in the conference at linebacker, you know, allow those linebackers and that, that great D line, allow them to crowd the line of scrimmage. And then, you know, trust your defensive backs, trust your secondary that, you know, you are kind of putting them on an island, but they've proven that they can handle that. They've proven that they can, they're up to that task. So I think if I'm ball state, that that's my game plan uh, going into this one for sure. Now, Let's talk about on the other side of the ball here, Ball State offense versus the Buffalo defense, Sam. I think if I'm a Ball State fan, this matchup here, this kind of this is what where I have hope, right? I think if I am a Ball State fan, if I'm rooting for Ball State in this game, the offense, if, if Ball State's going to win this game, the offense has to score. Yeah. I, th- I think so, and I think one of the key people we have to get involved with Kalo Huntley opting out is Johannes Tyler, and we've seen what happened this past week when he wasn't involved. The offense just looked clunky. It didn't look great. Drew Play didn't have his third down guy to throw to really at times. He wasn't getting open until the fourth quarter. He found him, scored. Uh, we got our offense flowing, but we definitely need to get involved. He can't disappear. He can't be dropping passes like he did this past week. 
And another positive thing is Buffalo has been able to, uh, people have been able to score on Buffalo. We've seen Northern Illinois put 30. We, we've been, uh, we've seen Kent State put up 41. So it's not like this Buffalo defense is unstoppable where no team has been able to uh, score on them, which has to be a positive sign if you're a Cardinal fan. Sam, I, I agree with that completely. And, and you, you led me right into my next point here, which is that I think if, if, I, if I'm Ball State, if I'm Coach Mike New, if I'm the offensive staff for the Cardinals, Kent State showed me the blueprint of how I can beat Buffalo. Now, obviously, Kent State's defense was not up to the task that day. Buffalo ran for 500 yards in that game, and they scored 70 points. But Dustin Crum and this Kent State offense, they did just about whatever they wanted against this Buffalo defense. I mean, Dustin Crum was 22 for 32 for 343 yards and three touchdowns. They ran the ball 45 times for 235 yards. I mean, you add all that up. I mean, Kent State had 578 yards of offense in that game. 578 yards, you're going to win 95% of the games you play if you put up 578 yards. Now, unfortunately for them that day, Buffalo had 663 yards. Kent State's defense just couldn't get off the field, which we, we've talked about the Buffalo offense. But if I am Mike New, if I'm the, the offensive coaching staff for the Cardinals, I'm showing my team the Kent State tape and I'm showing them what Dustin Crum did to this offense. Isaiah McCoy had 170, 137 yards receiving in a touchdown. Like I said, Dustin Crum threw for 343 yards. He also ran for 76 in a touchdown. I mean, this this Buffalo defense is is not invincible. Yeah, I, I think you mentioned everything there. Like, it's not invincible by any means. I think Ball State can't do what it did against Western Michigan. That's get off to a slow start where you're just three quarters in and barely doing anything. You can't do that against Buffalo to even have a chance. You've got to score early often. You've got to get clicked uh, often. Drew Plate can't have his normal every game pick, which he somehow didn't have against Western Michigan, but yeah. uh, he may have this game. He can't do that. They can't have, they just can't have lackadaisical mistakes. They can't be punting like five times in a row, which just seemed like they were against Western Michigan. They've got to be able to score. They can't do that. There's really no shot, but yeah, if Ball State can somehow keep up with this uh, Buffalo offense, then I think they have a really good shot. Yeah, and I, I think you hit the nail on the head, Sam, is that this this offense, they need to be efficient. You can't be turning the ball over against Buffalo. You can't give them short field. I think, you know, if you turn the ball over and give the Buffalo, give them the ball on, on your side of the 50-yard line, game over. You can't be having three and outs, can't be throwing interceptions, as you mentioned, can't be fumbling the ball. I think if Ball State can eliminate turnovers, if they can, you know, establish the run and get some long drives and bleed the clock, I do think they have a chance in this game. I think they're going to be able to move the ball. I think they're going to be able to throw the ball. And so we're, we're in agreement on this, Sam. I think Ball State's path to winning this game is on offense. They're going to have to score. Um, and, and so that, that kind of leads me in, into my next question here, Sam, which is, um, you know, what, what are the matchups for you that you want to see in this game? What, what are the things that, that are going to determine how this one uh, turns out from your perspective? I, I think I, it's a matchup we haven't mentioned. I think it's uh, Ty Evans and Will Jones against this Buffalo rushing 
defense when you when it comes down to it ball state we all know how good drew play can be and we know how good this ball state offense is but it feeds off the running attack and we've seen how just kind of how how good this ball state offense can be with Caleb Huntley and then this rushing uh, offense flowing into the play action that allows Drew Plitt to find his open receivers. And what we've seen over these past few games is this offense just not be able to be as effective. And I think if you're if you're ball state, you've got to find a way, even though Will Jones and, and Ty Evans unfortunately aren't Caleb Huntley, have to be able to get probably four or five yards of carry against this Buffalo rushing defense because at the end of the day, I like Drew Plitt. I like his ability. I think he's shown his ability to rise at times, and I think he's an excellent quarterback. But we can't ask him to throw 50 times against this Buffalo defense. If we do, I don't think it's a winning formula. We've got to find a way to get Ty Evans and Will Jones uh, effectively involved. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that completely. And, and you know, I think the, the way that Ty Evans and Will Jones have played the last few weeks makes it to me, you know, it, it's not a death blow that Caleb Huntley's not playing. Right. I think we've, that ball state has proven over the last few weeks that even without Caleb Huntley in the lineup, Ty Evans and Will Jones have, have been able to produce. I mean, Ty Evans, I mean, they're both averaging 4.5 yards per carry. Um, they, they've both acquitted themselves well over the last few weeks here. So I think you're right. I think if Ball State can establish the run and really get the run game going and get some long drives and give their defense a break on the sideline, I think that is a matchup uh, that the, the, you know, the Cardinals, if they can get that to go their way, I think that's something that will bode very well for them. For me, um, the matchup that I'm, I think is going to determine this game that I'm really excited to see is it's going to be the front seven of ball state against the offensive line of, of Buffalo, right? We we've talked about that a little bit already ball state, Brandon Martin, and, and this defensive line, you mentioned, you mentioned Chris Ogmiang and, and, and some of the other guys uh, on that front, on that front three there, these guys are going to have to step up. Nobody in the conference has, has slowed down this rushing attack for Buffalo yet. I don't know if Ball State's going to be able to do it. I Obviously, they're not going to shut them down completely. But if they can at least slow them down a little bit, and I'm going to throw this number out there. It might sound absurd, but I think if Ball State can hold Buffalo under, like, say, 250 rushing yards, I think they can have a really good chance to win this game. I know 250 rushing yards still sounds like a lot, but, I mean, Buffalo's averaging over 300 yards a game. Uh, rushing this season I think if Ball State can corral that even just a little bit they have a really good chance to win this game yeah I I think so I think you mentioned it perfectly I think that's a matchup you're going to have to work look out to because as you mentioned nobody really up to this point has been able to stop them so where you can be able to look at this game and be like here's the formula on how to do it there's no formula on how to do it so you basically got to be able to throw different things at them, maybe switch your defense up, throw throw different looks at them because no defense has been able to do it at this point. So it's going to be up to everybody that I, I talked about earlier to step up, whether it's the Brayden Martins, the Chris Ogmiang, the uh, Joshua Trangos. It's going to be, it's going to take everybody and essentially their moms to do it. And, and that's what you need at the end of the day. And if you, if they don't, Unfortunately, Jared Patterson might and Kevin Marks might have him, himself another career day. Yeah, you're exactly right. And I know uh, I'm sure that's what, you know, uh, the defensive staff for, for the Cardinals is, uh, are, you know, they're talking about this week. And 
man, I, it's a tall task, but uh, we're, we're going to, we'll learn pretty quickly to see if, if they're up to it. Um, it's a shame. You know, I, I, I think one thing that would, would have really benefited Ball State in this game is that it's too bad that uh, no, no fans are going to be there. Cause I feel like a lot of people would may, be making that drive up from Muncie to Detroit. It's a lot shorter drive from Muncie to Detroit than it is from Buffalo. Oh, no doubt. I would be driving up. Like, why yeah. not? Like, I, I, it's it's a once-in-a-lifetime once experience. Who knows uh, if Ball State, uh, whenever, uh, when's the next chance you get to do it? So, why not? Yeah, no doubt. So, um, let, let's move in, and, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts here, Sam. Just in terms of a prediction, how do you see this game playing out? What are your thoughts on on how the Cardinals are going to perform here? What do you see? Uh, how, how, do you, how do you see this uh, playing out tomorrow night? I mean, I can't, I can't bet against him. Like, I mean, it would, it would, it would look bad if I did. I, I'm, I'll, I'll go, I'll go. Uh, Ball State thirty-five, Buffalo thirty-one. I think it's gonna be a high-scoring game. Uh, people are just gonna be able to put uh, th- score points against one another. Hopefully, Ball State gets it done. Yeah, I, I hope, I hope I didn't jinx it there. <laughs> you know, I, I respect that. I, I respect you uh, backing your team. You know, I think, like I mentioned, I think if Ball State is going to win this game, it's going to be because they outscore Buffalo. I, I I don't see either defense having a ton of a uh, ton of success tomorrow night. Um, I think Drew Plitt and Justin Hall and Johannes Taylor, they're gonna have they're gonna be able to move the ball. They're gonna do be able to do what they want. I I think a big game from Drew Plitt is in store tomorrow. He's he looked good last week against Western Michigan. Uh, three touchdowns, no interceptions. I don't know if Ball State's defense is gonna be able to slow down Buffalo enough to get the victory. I do think uh, you know if you look at the the spread on this game, I think two touchdowns is too much. I think Ball State keeps this within one score. I do also think this game goes over the total. I believe the total last time I checked was like 67, which is a lot of points. But I do think Ball State's going to be able to move the ball and and score some points on Buffalo. I am going to go with the Bulls, but I do think Ball State keeps this one close. I think it's a one-score game. I'm going to go Buffalo 40 to 35. Uh, I I think uh, they'll get a late touchdown, to to and that'll end up being the difference here. But I do think Ball State is going to give them all that they can handle. I think this is going to be a great football game, and I love the fact that it's a standalone game on ESPN on, on a Friday night at 730. I mean, I think I think the positive at the end of this for both teams is they get to go to a bowl game, and I think that's what we've been waiting for as Ball State fans. I think Buffalo fans are also excited. Like, yes, you could win this match championship game, and it does mean a lot, but I think either way, if you can get to a bowl game, which I think both uh, teams are automatically uh, go- going to be, I think the winner goes to the Arizona Bowl. I could be wrong on that, and I think I think the other is a uh, like to be decidable that uh, ESPN yeah. selects. So either way, this is a great chance to not only watch a, a great MAC game, but to uh, see uh, t- two uh, MAC teams that are going to be in a bowl game. Yeah, no doubt. And and you you did hit the nail on the head there, Sam. They're, both these teams are going to be in bowl games. The uh, there's going to be the uh, Arizona Bowl, which is on New Year's Eve, Thursday, December twenty first at two o'clock, and then uh, as you mentioned. The, um, the, the second game is still to be determined, but both of these teams are going to be in a bowl game. So uh, I know that's big news for Ball State, who I believe their last, if I remember correctly, their last bowl game, I want to say was 2013. So it's, it's been a while for the Cardinals. So definitely a big step uh, for the program. 
to be able to get back uh, to a bowl game there. I know I'm sure the Cardinals wouldn't be too upset if they got an invitation to the Bahamas Bowl or something like that here in the, at the end of December. So um, e either way, we're really looking forward to this game tomorrow night. As we mentioned, 7.30 on ESPN uh, live from Ford Field in Detroit. Uh, Sam, any final thoughts on the on the championship game or anything in general? Uh, no, I think I think this is uh, just been a heck of a season. I mentioned it earlier. I think this has just been an incredible season. I I'm kind of shocked, not gonna lie, that Ball State's in the position where they are. I didn't believe in them. I had them going a three and three record. I didn't think we had a shot, but hey, that Mike New got his team ready. We kind of lucked into where we are, but hey, credit to Mike New and his uh, coaching staff for able to get it done. Five and one playing Buffalo. Even if we don't get it done, we've got a bowl game to look forward to. And if we win that bowl game, we'll have our first ever bowl victory of the season, which I think would matter even more than if we got a uh, conference championship win. That's a great point. That's a great point. First bowl win in, in school history would, would certainly be something big. And I think that uh, the extension they gave Mike New before the season certainly looking a little bit better right now uh, to, to a lot of Cardinal fans after going five and one this year. So um, that'll wrap up our coverage here of the championship game. Obviously, next week, we'll, we'll go a little bit in depth into a breakdown of, of what we see on the field tomorrow night. Uh, so we're all we're both really looking forward to watching that. Before we close out the show here, I uh, wanted to obviously go a little uh, go to the hardwood, talk a little hoops uh, before we let everyone go. Uh, Sam, we, we've had uh, quite a few MAC conference games here over the last week or so. Seems like some teams are, are, are starting to, I don't want to say separate themselves, but we're starting to see uh, some teams rise to the top of the conference. Bowling Green, Toledo, and Ball State uh, on the men's side of things, all sitting at the top of the league now at 1-0. Uh, at nice victory for the Cardinals uh, last week against Northern Illinois to open up conference play. See, they also knocked off Illinois State 82-66. to um, big game uh, the other day from uh, Buffalo, who they bounced back from their uh, conference opening loss to Bowling Green and uh, blew out Miami of Ohio 90 to 62. Uh, anything that stood out for you over the last week or so, Sam, in, in, on the men's side of things? I, I think uh, Buffalo, as, I'm, as I've mentioned previous times, I think a lot of people are sleeping on them. They had those early uh, losses against a solid Army team and Bowling Green team, but slowly have turned around. They got that 28-point win against Miami, Ohio, which is very huge. I think a lot of people are sleeping on Buffalo. I think they're a team to watch out for. But I'm just I'm just confused by this uh, Toledo team. I don't know whether they're for real or not. Maybe it's they have that uh, those sort of early struggles. They got them out of the way. Now have back-to-back -back wins with a UMKC win, which is as impressive with a sub-point victory. But then they take on a Marshall team, which has just just proven to be really good this season. Four and one, their one loss now being Toledo. They already beat Ohio by 14. They beat a uh, Wright State team. Marshall really looking good. Toledo managed to beat them. So I'm not sure whether it was just early kind of season, just kind of bad, bad play by Toledo. And now they're turning around and they're an actually good team or whether this is just kind of just a streaky team all around. Yeah, Toledo has seemed to be up and down a little bit here at the beginning of the season, kind of like their football team, kind of funny. But, uh, you know, it's, it's the, the team the team that has um, really kind of impressed me so far on the men's side of things is, is Kent State. I, I think Kent State is a team that some people are sleeping on right now. 
I talked about them a little bit last week. They had gone down to Virginia and taken on the Cavaliers, who were 15th in the country at the time. They took them to overtime, and they followed up that game with two impressive victories over the last week here. Uh, they went to Detroit and beat Detroit Mercy 80-66, to and then um, the other day defeated Northern Kentucky at home 92-73. to Northern Kentucky, a team that was in contention to make the NCAA tournament last year. So I think Kent State is a team that I think some people might be sleeping on. And if I'm being honest, a team that has kind of disappointed me thus far is uh, is Bowling Green. I, I know they had the nice win against Buffalo to open up Mac play. But other than that, man, you know, I, I watched them a couple weeks ago play Appalachian State down at Appalachian State. They really did not impress me in that game. And then this past weekend took on Wright State, a home game against Wright State. They were down 54 to 21 at halftime in that game. I mean, the Raiders really blew them out of the gym. Bowling Green came back a little bit in the second half, but they, they were never in contention in that game. Final score in that one was 85 to 67. So for a team that was the preseason favorite in the conference on the men's side, they're 1-0 in the conference. So obviously it's not as if their season is over, or if they're completely falling apart or anything, but just my impression of them thus far, when I've watched them, they, they really haven't shown me anything that blowed me away. For the I I'm gonna I'm gonna slowly change the su subject to a team that disappointed me and it's NIU to be frank they're yeah. they're just a team that just doesn't look good at all when you look at top to bottom they've got back to back losses from uh, UIC and SIUE they got a 30 point loss against Pittsburgh they had a chance against this ball uh, against a Ball State team in overtime let that game slip away and then they play. a Number three, Iowa team, which we all know is really solid. They have a, a arguably the national player of the year, but they lose to that team by 53. <laughs> yeah. Even even Ball State lost to Michigan. I think it was only by 20. You're losing to a Big Ten team by 50. That's just unacceptable. And I know that Northern Illinois has lost their uh, two top leading scores from last year. Um but at the same time, these performances are just not good by the Huskies. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, I think, you know, Northern Illinois fans, I think, anticipated a, a little bit of a drop-off this year from the Huskies. But you're right. I mean, to, to lose – I mean, that Ball State game, that overtime loss, I mean, they had that game won at the end of regulation, and they let it slip away, and then Ball State just kind of, you know, pulled away in overtime. But then, like you said, uh, to lose a thir by 30 to pit – 53 against Iowa, uh, 20 by at home against SIU Edwardsville. I mean, not a lot of positives coming out of, uh, of DeKalb to begin the, the, the basketball season here. So it is going to be interesting uh, to see, you know, how they're able to, uh, to recover as, uh, as the season moves forward. Um, coming up here uh, over the next week or so, we do have um, some, some big games, some more big games coming up as, uh, as we move through, you know, towards conference play, um, you know, tomorrow, uh, Friday, December 18th, you got Central Michigan taking on Western Michigan, um, Bowling Green traveling out here to, towards Pittsburgh to take on Robert Morris. Uh, got a couple big games over the weekend as well. Buffalo taking on Syracuse at the Carrier Dome. That's a big test for the Bulls, a nice chance for them to, to get potentially a huge non-conference win. And then, uh, you know, as we move into next week, obviously, Things slow down a little bit. We do have a couple conference games on Tuesday, the 22nd. Northern Illinois taking on Toledo. 
Ball State traveling up to Kalamazoo to take on uh, Western Michigan. I don't know about you, Sam, but as these conference games get rolling, I'm really curious to see, like I said, I think Kent State and, and, uh, and, and we mentioned Toledo a little bit. Ohio is a team we didn't really talk about much today. These are time teams that I, I think might start to rise at the top of the conference. I'm also curious to see Akron. They've only played two games thus far. They didn't look very good against St. Bonaventure the other day, but we all know the talent they have with Lauren Christian Jackson as well. Uh, yeah, no doubt you mentioned the Akron teams, but I think as we as we have harped on uh, many times this uh, season, with the lack of, with the, I wouldn't say lack of, but with the minimal amount of uh, non-conference games uh, before conference action, we'll be able to see what these teams are actually made of because, yes, we do have eight, five games of the Ball State Cardinals, the five games of Buffalo, Kent State, four games, six games of Ohio, but that doesn't, I don't think that tells you what this team is made of. Sure, you put uh, six games on film and sure you can stay off of, but I'm not sure we can exactly judge these teams off until we get into conference play because I think that's when they'll actually show these colors because we see a lot of uh, MAC teams play a lot bigger schools. And I think that despite what you put on the score sheet, whether it's losing but 20 or 50 in Northern Illinois' case to Iowa, that these teams are a lot better than they have shown on film. And I think once we get into conference play, we'll learn a lot more about these teams. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Moving over to the the women's side of things, um, you know, there uh, on the women's side, we, we have had, uh, we're a little bit deeper into conference play now. Uh, Central Michigan and Kent State both sitting atop uh, the conference at, at, at 2-0 and in the conference. Central Michigan 3-1 and overall. Kent State 2-2. Two and two. Um, You know, last week on the show, I, I, I briefly mentioned a, a big game for the Chippewas this past week as Cincinnati traveled up to Mount Pleasant to take them on. And I tell you what, Sam, a, that was a big win for the Chippewas. The uh, Central Michigan really led this one, uh, you know, wire to wire. Uh, they pulled away in the second and third quarter. They end up winning 79 to 62 against the Bearcats. Um, that I think, honestly, Sam, Central Michigan was picked as the top team in the conference to start the year on the women's side of things. And I think thus far, they haven't shown me anything otherwise than that they're the best team in this conference. Yeah, their one kind of uh, flaw in the season is an 18-point uh, loss against a ranked Michigan team. So uh, besides that, you've got an 11.1 against Western Michigan, a 17.1 against Cincinnati, and an 18.1 against Miami, Ohio. They clearly look like the team to beat. But I think a team that a lot of people are sleeping on that not a lot of people have is this Bowling Green team. We talk about the men's team a lot with uh, Justin Turner and the, just kind of the success they have. But besides their uh, six-point loss against Purdue this past week, they've been rolling. They got their first conference win against Eastern Michigan. But other than that, they've looked really good on the season. They're 4-1, uh, third in the MAC so far. But I think Bowling Green's definitely on both the men's and women's side is really looking good so far. Yeah, and, and I agree. I'm glad you brought up Bowling Green because, as you mentioned, you know, four and one on the season, and that one loss, a uh, a six point road loss at Purdue. So anytime you go on the road against a Big Ten team and hang tight like that, I think that certainly bodes well. I do think Bowling Green is a team that's gonna you'll see kind of ascend to the top of the conference here. Uh, I also wanted to give a shout out to uh, Toledo. Um, sophomore guard Sophie Ward. She had 42 points for the Rockets the other night. They uh barely got by Northern Illinois 82 to 79. 
So he had 42 of those 84, uh, 82 points, 16 for 25 from the field for the sophomore guard. Quite a showing. Seven for 10 from three-point land for her in that game. Quite a showing for the sophomore. She, along with that, five rebounds and five assists. Certainly uh, having a sophomore of that caliber bodes well for the future uh, of the Rockets program. So another uh, solid squad there. I tell you what, man, on, on the women's side of things, there's a lot of teams here that I feel like are have a legitimate chance to, to get to the top and, and win this conference. Like we, you know, we talked about Central Michigan and Kent State. You mentioned Bowling Green. I think Toledo is going to be right there as well. So I, I think Ohio is as well. This is a team that we can't forget. They have that non-conference win over Bowling Green. This is going to be interesting to watch these uh, the race unfold here, both on the women's side and the men's side. I think we got four or five teams on both sides of the conference that could have a legitimate chance to win. Yeah, I mean, when you look at the women's side of things, what's not only impressive is uh, the just just the balance of the conference. Yeah. When you look at, it, there's only four teams with below 500 records so far. You've got uh, Ball State with the two and three record, Western Michigan one and two record, Miami Ohio with the one and three record, Northern Illinois with the two and four record. But beyond that, everybody else is 500 or better. So you just see the depth of of the competition. I think is really going to be solid. Uh, you've, you've, you've clearly got the favorite, I think, in everybody's mind in Central Michigan, but everybody else I don't think is too far off from uh, reaching Central Michigan. Yeah, no doubt. And speaking of Central Michigan, another big opportunity for them tomorrow in the non-conference schedule as uh, they travel to East Lansing and take on Michigan State at the Breslin Center. So uh, certainly a big opportunity for the Chippewas there uh, to pick up another signature non-conference victory and kind of separate themselves even further uh, from, from the rest of the conference. Um, there's some other uh, decent games coming up this week on the women's side on Saturday. Uh, Ohio travels to Morgantown, take on West Virginia. Northern Illinois takes on Michigan State on Saturday as well. Another interesting matchup on the women's side, Eastern Michigan on Saturday, taking on number 25 Gonzaga in a, uh, a neutral site game in Las Vegas. It'll be interesting to see how the Eagles are able to equip themselves there against a top 25 team. And uh, so some some interesting matchups here. D jump back into conference play again early next week. Got Buffalo taking on Western Michigan on uh, on the 22nd. So a couple big opportunities for a few different MAC schools uh, on the women's side to pick up some signature non-conference victories uh, this week as well as we head into the holiday season. And uh, with that, Sam, I think that's just going to about wrap it up for us here this week. Anything else you wanted to add in terms of basketball, football, the championship game, any, anything along those lines, anything we didn't touch on? I think basketball, just if uh, whether it's women's or men's, don't get too far ahead of yourself. This is a this is too early in the season to kind of panic on your team or just kind of celebrate whether you're doing really whether your team's doing really well as a Central Michigan has a three and one record or a uh, Northern Illinois with their own five record. There's still a lot of games left to be played. You've still got the MAC championship at or MAC tournament at the end of the season, so there's still a bunch of games to be played. So don't get your two uh, hope, uh, hopes up but at the same time if your team's not doing so good you still got conference play you still got a lot of games ahead of you to look forward to spoken like a true veteran hoops fan there couldn't agree with you more there sam 
Well, everyone, that's going to wrap it up for this episode, for episode 24 of the Mid-American Bandwagon Podcast. As always, we thank you so much for stopping by. If you're not following us already, uh, follow us on Twitter um, at, at Mac underscore bandwagon. Uh, you can catch all of our episodes there. Uh, you can catch us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. You can catch us on the Hustle Belt page, anywhere where you can get your podcast. Feel free, download, subscribe, leave us a good rating. We really appreciate that. We thank you guys for all the support thus far. For Sam Thillman, I am Zach Follador. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. We'll talk to you guys next week.